Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Michigan Avenue Media. A good story is a good story. Hosted by Marsha Casper Cook. Live shows every week with interesting interviews in the entertainment field with writers, producers, directors, and screenwriters. There's also shows about newsworthy topics and group discussions about writing tips to help writers reach success. New to the show are conversations about personal struggles and how to feel good about yourself in today's world. One thing's for sure, it's always a lively conversation and lots of fun. So sit back and enjoy the show. Hi everybody, it's Marcia. We're going to have a great show today and we have two very good writers on that talk, you know, that are really aware of everything that is going on in the younger generation and um, it's important to talk about the younger and the older generation because Mental Health Awareness Month is this month and this is a big topic now and it always has been but now they're paying more attention to this and I think you know COVID brought a lot of people into this message now because a lot of people are still suffering and they everybody's saying they're not suffering is everything is over but it's not over because mental health doesn't just you don't snap your fingers and feel better just like that so I'm going we have I'm going to let Danielle and Kristen tell you about you know what they do and what their plan is for the next you know what their next books are and then we'll talk about everything else that we have to talk about today which is a lot it's physical emotional mental awareness you know it's happening in all communities so I think this is a good time to talk about it and so we'll let Danielle so glad to have you on the show again yeah it's so good to be back and yes it's great and um I know this is a subject very important to you too. So tell everybody a little bit of how you started and you know what your about your series, the Mailboat. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, my name is Danielle Lincoln Hanna. I'm the author of uh, the Mailboat Suspense series, and uh, yeah, suspense. Um, I recently decided that as part of my platform, I wanted to start talking more openly about mental health and trauma and abuse. And these have always been kind of the underpinnings of my writing and my writing style and my approach to writing suspense. And, you know, within the past year or so, I've decided that I was going to start talking about my own experiences with trauma and abuse and mental health awareness and just in hopes of being more helpful to more people, basically. So that's kind of where I come from. Well, right, and that's really, you know, and that's how we met. We talked about this, and you've been on the show many times before, and uh, Kristen has been on the show a lot, and when I knew you were coming on, I asked her if she wanted to join us because she's very interested in this, and uh, she writes for the young adults. So, Kristen, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Kristen Lindsay Hager, and I write the Middle School Landry True Color series and the YA Star series. Saving the It Guy, which is a standalone, and the Cecily Taylor series. And I write about teens and tweens dealing with things, um, social anxiety, dealing with um, growing up, parents, friendships, and all the everyday things that teens go through, which include mental health struggles like anxiety. 
Okay. And all right. So you mentioned friendships. So Danielle, when when the I think it was the first time you were on the show, we talked about this some of your friendships and some of the friendships you weren't allowed to have when you were young. Do you want to talk a little bit about that because that's so important? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, You know, I've as I've been talking more about this and kind of getting used to talking about my own past experiences, the the word that tends to come back to mind for myself and for my extended family. Um, we tend to go back to the word cult. I think that's the best way to try to understand what my upbringing was like. Um, I would maybe call it a mini cult because it was just <laughs> me, yeah, my brother, right, yeah. my mother, and my stepdad with my mother kind of being, uh, you know, the, the, the figurehead, so to speak. And uh, it was a very strict and isolated upbringing. Um, my brother and I were homeschooled. And we didn't have a lot of friends, didn't get out much. Um, My brother and I can each name like one good friend we had growing up. And we can also both say that we lost those friends. Um, And later on, as we got into like high school, we we started getting out a little bit more and meeting more people, um, made some more good friends. But there was always sort of this air of disapproval that, you know, you felt sort of watched and monitored, uh, you know, by by our parents. And most friendships were largely disapproved of. So you felt like you were kind of constantly walking on eggshells and you never felt like you could keep anybody or get close to anybody, which, again, was very isolating. And that's very common with abuse. Um, you know, they don't want you to compare notes with other people. So, yeah, we right. both grew up really isolated and, you know, just making friendships has been challenging for us, you know, important to us now in hindsight, but kind of one of those things that challenges us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, both of you can ask each other questions or just delve in if some, you have something to say, which Kristen, you know, because you deal with so many relationships with your characters. So, you know, I think there's a lot you want to say about this because you those are friendships with young people, how important they are in your books. Yeah, and it can be really difficult for young kids to find basically their place where they feel comfortable, where they feel accepted, where they don't feel judged, where they're not, you know, like walking on eggshells, like we said. It can be really difficult to find some place where you don't feel, you know, like there's something wrong with you. And I think sometimes, too, going to small schools or having – situations where there's not a lot of people around or diversity, that can be much more of a challenge because, you know, you look around and everyone's sort of the same and you're a little different. You take that in as you must be wrong then. If everyone else is one way and there's something different about you, you don't look at what might make you unique or special or what talents you have. You immediately think they must be right, which is a lot about what I talk about with the Landry True Colors series is, Every character has something special and unique about them. And because that's the age, you know, that especially the tween years, you know, the preteen years that they call the tween years in between is when we're kind of comparing ourselves to try to figure out what are you supposed to be like. And that comparison really can be a killer. Right. That's true. Because, you know, it, it's very hard to be in, as a young person to say, you know, to feel like they're very confident because you get more confident as you get older, hopefully. And what you think of at 16 
at 26 or 36, your views change and you do sometimes hopefully get more confidence because you've established yourself. But when you're coming from, uh, like right now, kids are involved with social media constantly, as we all are because we're all on it all the time. But you mentioned something about when we talked before the show about years ago, if you did something, people would just forget it. But now if you do something that's embarrassing and they it's caught online, this is horrible because it's out there. So how do you think your characters would handle this? Because you, this is a subject you just wanted to talk about today. Yes. Um, I, I don't know who originally wrote this, but my friend Gray Joseph um, posted this online. And in fact, let me, let me read this um, for your audience okay. here. Okay. Um, so she wrote, social media is killing their souls that there should be age limits for it. So this is the post. It says, imagine something embarrassing happened to you at school when you were in the seventh grade. Everyone laughed and it was awful and you were mortified. Then a few weeks passed and everyone found new things to laugh about and they moved on. You didn't forget how embarrassed you were, but you could move on too. Now imagine you did something embarrassing in seventh grade and everyone laughed and it was awful, but someone also caught it on Snapchat and turned it into a meme and a TikTok and everyone in school saw it. And took a screenshot of it and spread it further. And you couldn't get away from it. And no one forgot. And you couldn't either. And people were still resharing it months later. Just sit there and imagine it for a minute. Kids aren't ready for this kind of social media. It starts with us and parents. And that just hit me. I saw that last night and I put that on my social media. And that just really hit me because most of us did not grow up having to worry about that. And, I mean, as it was, when you got called in in class and you didn't know the answer, you were mortified. You could feel it, you know, the heat rising in your cheeks. And to now know that that can be immortalized. I mean, I always feel a little uncomfortable when I see some of the, the gifts and the memes that are dealing with younger people. And you don't always know the history behind where some of these screenshots and memes came from. Um, so it's definitely, you know, a much more difficult thing. And when well, um, I, I'm writing, I feel, you know, because you do remember that when you when you're you will always remember these things. You know, it, it these are things that when you when things happen to you like that, you're right. People do remember it. I remember a lot of things that happened, and I they're in my head. I don't think about them all the time, you know. And I think that's that is really something that matters because, like you were talking about with school, I myself recalled when you just mentioned that. There was a teacher that we had in school, and he would call everybody. He'd sit there in the back of the class, and he would pick, you know, he'd had little cards, white index cards, and he all our names were on it. So he would shuffle it up a lot, and then everybody was scared to death that he was going to call on them. But for whatever the reason is, well, I can, I guess I know it now, he just couldn't get me to be upset because he they would all sit back because then my he would always say okay my my maiden name was casper so okay marcia casper go up there and i could see everybody's face was like oh thank god it's not me (laughs) but it was me (laughs) up there and i when you said that just not thinking of that and i never knew the right answer because i had no idea what was going on but he didn't care and he knew he wasn't going to get the right answer to the problems or whatever we were talking about by asking me, but continually, and I never broke down. 
And when I was young, I used to dye my hair different colors, so then he would bring that up while I'm standing mm-hmm. there, and it never made me stop. He made to stop and go, oh, and cry. He, I, he would have liked that because he did make people cry. And when now that you said that, this reminded me of these things. I, it, look at it, all these years; it, it stays in your mind. And he said that about school, and that's if that were documented, and I was the kind of kid that was would be crying. You don't want to be crying in front of everybody. You know, mm-hmm. which, okay, right. now, Dan- Danielle, you were you were schooled at home. So those yeah. are issues you didn't have. But yeah. when you went to school, I mean, how, you know, it's got to be very difficult from that situation of homeschooling to go into a class all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. I mean, like my first classroom experiences were at the college level, which was pretty intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of trying to catch up to do, uh, you know, going from, you know, me and my brother being the only kids in the school, so to speak, to you know, all of a sudden being in a classroom environment and having really no idea what was going on, per se. Um, you know, and I've, I've, I guess I've been told that I was lucky that I didn't get to go through, uh, you know, being harassed by classmates or, or teachers like you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think, I think what I, what I tend to tell people in response is just, yeah, no, I only had to take it from my parents, which was great. You know, <laughs> please yeah. read the sarcasm. <laughs> um, which isn't good. So, yeah, right. I mean, which isn't good. Right. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I got to say that, you know, when it comes to what kids experience in school today and in social media and everything, I am, you know, deeply interested and fascinated um, and more from a perspective of I don't have much to compare it to, but I'm interested in people so universally that I'm like, I want to know what this is like for you. And so I've been trying to um, uh, get some more school events recently, and I have absolutely... Uh, loved the the time I've been able to spend with um, high school students specifically and and trying to get a feel for their world, which is still very foreign to me in a lot of ways. What do they feel? Is there something that comes to mind that, you know, that most, a lot of them feel, you know, like a universal to them out there when they're asking questions? Yeah, and I want to say that I'm still, like, new enough to these conversations with high school students that they're still... I've still got so much to learn, you know, and I want to say to learn from them because that's how I approach all people. And the thing, I had a, a wonderful meeting with a high school book club uh, a week or two ago. And, you know, what what stuck out most to me, I think, is that it's very popular to sort of look at the younger generations and, and say that they're uh, lacking somehow or not as good somehow or not as robust or whatever or not as smart even or not as hardworking or whatever. And, you know, as I usually do, I just sort of presented the blank slate to them and said, right on us, whatever you want to tell me. And I was yeah. so impressed with, with how intelligent they are and how deep they, they, are. they are. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's such, it's terrible when they do things like that. And I do think that sometimes, you know, parents or grandparents, whether they should like watch some of these things, you know, you you have to remember sometimes that you were a child too and you went through things. Yeah. So I think as a parent myself, you know, and I, I think what I t- taught my son was, was to, you know, you, I mean, you have to 
just do the best you can, you know, and that you there are so many things that kids have on their mind, you know, mm-hmm. and but like and they're smart the kids now, but you can if you watch a movie or if you sit with them and talk to them, a lot of times COVID did that where they could at least a lot of people were home. So they did talk to their mm-hmm. kids because kids need that. Yeah. And I think when Kristen, when you were on the show, this was during COVID, that this was when you started being on the show. Because mm-hmm. it was just at the, you know, and you always used to go talk to kids, and then that's yeah. Not. I mean, yeah, I do, and you know, during that time, go ahead. Like you were saying, that kids were talking to their parents more. A lot came out from the kids about being relieved about being home, which the parents did were really surprised about because there were kids dealing with problems with, you know, either bullying or feeling unaccepted or things going on with um, people they thought were their friends. You know, the term now they use is frenemies, a friend who's also an enemy. Um, And a lot of that came out that the kids actually had some relief not having to go to school. And over time, you know, with nothing else to do being at home, more and more came out and they found out what was going on at school, the kids that they really weren't aware of. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Because, you know, look, that's the one thing about history that does repeat itself. There's always bullies. There's always people sure. out there that don't even know. They they think they're out there being, like, cool or doing something great, but they are intimidating to a lot of other people. A lot of kids are intimidated. And that's one of the things mm-hmm. that's so sad about because it's normal, I think, to be intimidated a lot of times when you're younger because you don't, you're not as sure of things as you are as you get older. Hopefully, as you get older, you do learn. But when you're young in school, you know, you're trying your best to try to learn everything, to try to have friends, to try to do everything. And then all of a sudden, then here you have COVID and then they're home. But at least they, they get that pressure away. If, if they were having problems at school, then those problems are gone. Because they're home. Yeah. Yeah. But also, on the That's other just, hand, it's very isolating. Yeah. Which is where, Danielle, you had that isolation. <laughs> I mean, did you have hobbies? Did you have hobbies that yeah. kept you? Okay, so we'll talk a little bit about how important that is. Because that is important, hobbies for kids. For sure. Oh, yeah. What did you like, do? You know, a lot of my hobbies helped see me through that, you know, this sort of, you know, lifelong isolation that I had for so long. And when the pandemic rolled around and now everybody was experiencing what I had experienced, I was like, oh, I did not wish this on you guys. <laughs> right. I, I, right. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's funny to me now to realize that so many people can yeah. kind of wrap their minds a little bit more around what it was that I went through. But for me, it was right. the better part of 26 years. And, you know, for me, writing yeah. first and foremost is what yeah. helped to see me through. Um, and specifically, you know, my my family was not supportive. It was far more popular uh, for them to tear me down, you know, especially my mother and stepfather. Mm-hmm. And uh, subconsciously, I started realizing that I wasn't getting the kind of support that you needed as a kid. And I, I was writing stories. And in hindsight, I realized now that I didn't have role models and what I was creating imaginary role models in the stories that I was writing. So for me, that's what really helped to see me through. But look, how so you, really look, look, at a role model. look how you are now, though, to kids. 
you're a role model because you're very big on social media. You love it. You do it great. And, you know, no, you do. And you move. Look at look at you. I mean, there you are. You lived in North Dakota. And then writing about Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and then you moved mm-hmm. there, which is like when yep. I first went, I went like, oh, my God, look where you're you're coming to Lake Geneva, which is close to Illinois. And it's like, oh, my God, it's like worlds apart. Yep. And, look, and you did it, but you did it. You it's just true. picked yeah. up and moved. No, I, I learned and somewhere, some, I, somewhere I had just a, a fiber of, of resolve to decide that I wanted to go pursue the things that I wanted to do. And so that's kind of how I, how I've just been living my life. You know, I, I've, I've got this attitude that I donated far too much of it to other people whose life it was not, you know, it was not only oh, yeah. my parents' life, it was mine. And yeah. so, yeah, ever since I kind of snapped out of that, I realized, no, I kind of want to do what I want to do. So I'm going to go do that. <laughs> But but so, how great is that, though, you know, for when you're talking to kids about that, you did do that. You know, people always say, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to leave. But you just did. Yeah. And then you're happy <laughs> about it. You know, I mean, it's but that's true. hard. It's true. You know, and one of the things that strikes me so much and, and has really been striking me as I'm starting to talk more with, with high school students is uh, the older you get, the more experienced you get, and the more you realize you can weather and I, I don't look down on the kids for, for making mountains out of molehills because for them, it is their first mountain. They've maybe never encountered something as big as whatever right. they're encountering right now. Right. And right. I, I think the message is not to tell them, hey, that's not actually a problem. You should see what I've been through. I think the message is to tell them, I don't care how you figure out how to hang on, but figure out how to hang on because it can get better. Right. To me, right. that's the more and, and, important message. And and that's like what, uh, Kristen, that's what you do in your writing. So you want to talk a little about that subject? Because you do a lot of this, you know, yourself. I mean, that's what I was so impressed with when I met you is that you had really such a, a grasp on the young adult coming up into this world. Yeah, well, one is thing that I'm... Yeah, one thing I've seen is that we, when you know, when I was growing up and stuff, we didn't really have labels, and if we did know the words like anxiety, depression, or whatever, we never would have applied that to ourselves. You wouldn't have said, oh, you know, I, I suffer from anxiety or something like that. It was almost seen as something like, like a dirty little secret that you kind of hid type of thing. And when I was writing um, the first Landry books, I was in a critique group. And um, I was letting them read uh, the beginning chapters of True Colors. And as we finished, um, a couple of the people in the group had made the comment. They said, you know, Landry, when she has anxiety and deals with this, she's always, you know, either feeling like she's going to throw up at one competition. She gets so nervous she actually does throw up. Um, or she's yeah. running to the bathroom the other way with potty issues. And they said, you know, you, you bring this up a lot. Do you really want to put that in the book? And I said, yeah, because it's, you know, a real thing that kids go through. And they really didn't think it should stay in the book, but I really wanted to keep it in there. And that ended up being the stuff that people, not just, you know, kids and parents saying, oh, my kid deals with this, but some of the parents and bloggers and people that read the book said, you know, they went through that for years, and it was what they referred to as their dirty little secret, why I use that term, 
they thought that everyone else was walking around normal and could handle their life, could handle these stressful situations, but that there was something wrong with them that they would get nervous. And one person in particular, she was a gifted child, and it started out, um, I think she said about like second, third, fourth grade were the main years that she was really dealing with it the worst. She was very smart, and she was really kind of buckling under the pressure. And it just continued on, and it, it, it got a little better, but it continued on well through pretty much high school, but it really started the second, third, fourth grade. It was almost out of control. And she said, I didn't know anybody else went through this. You know, her parents had no experience with it. It was just like, oh, you know, hurry up, here's the school bus, get it together type thing. And she said it just made her feel very seen and like she wasn't, as she put it, the little, you know, strange kid that had something wrong. And I've had other people say, oh, my gosh, you know, me too, me too, that they dealt with that as well. And like, you know, Landry's mother kind of, you know, it's been going on for a while because of the way that she refers to it as nervous pukies, something more that you'd say to a kid and like, you know, potty issues and stuff like that. Yeah. And she tells Landry, you know, your dad went through this, your grandma and Landry thinks, oh, dad seems to have it together. He went through this? My gosh. And he tells her, oh, you know, after a while it does get better, never completely goes away, but you learn how to handle it. And then he gives her some tips and, you know, grandma has some ways that she tries to, you know, help and stuff. And a lot of my characters do deal with that. And so sometimes there will be little things, you know, they'll be listening to, you know, um, um, MP3, of course, back in the day it was like CDs, tapes, whatever, of something that's, yeah. you know, calming, like meditation. I have, I have a pop star character, Andrew Holiday, and the, Cecily Taylor series, and in all three books, he's dealing with anxiety. He's at the top of his career. He's an indie pop star, but every day he's dealing with, you know, the record company talking about chart sales. And so even though you would think, reading the story, you would think he hasn't made, you know, he has everything that anybody could possibly want. And Cecily, the main character, she's getting to model and act, and she's dating Andrew Holiday, dating her pop star. What could possibly be wrong in her life she's you know pretty she's got everything going for her but the pressures mount the higher up you go and so nobody has a charmed life in fact that's the name of the soap opera that she's going to be in, uh, now in Cecily in the right. City and the soap opera for my star series Charm Life because it's kind of basically saying there is no such thing as a charmed life but we think we look on the outside and it seems like it is so you see Andrew dealing with his anxiety different things he tries um, because, you know, everybody goes through something. It's just some hide it better than others. And now with social media, yeah, people are talking about their struggles. More people are talking about dealing with depression, burnout, anxiety, um, other things that they're dealing with, um, you know, bipolar disorder. People are talking about that more. There's podcasts. But still, we are seeing influencers who act like every day is perfect, Every day yeah. they wake up, how blessed and wonderful their lives are. And you kind of start to ask yourself, do they ever have a bad day? Do they struggle? Is it just me over here yeah. struggling with this? Yeah, which is, well, that's the other thing. Like, because Danielle, I like, you know, what you're talking, you know, you've been talking about that. And when you, you know, you have a very, you start out with a very great, really good social media campaign. And your <laughs> groups, they, they, love you and they're they're all they're you're directly talking to a lot of them but you're giving them some free things and you're helping them along the way but now once you've got them as your fans you're also there to help them 
get through what yeah. they're doing, which is a really important thing. And both of you yeah. on the show, both of you, you, your fans are people that rely on you to tell them that the world is real. It's not just, you know, mm-hmm. what you see that all these influencers that, you know, they Photoshop and they do whatever and they're dancing, but they have a life that isn't perfect. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, yeah, exactly. you, both of you do this. Yeah. And, and what do you feel? God, that, yeah, go ahead. I find it so important, to be honest. You know, I feel like when mm-hmm. social media started out, we were all like jumping on there and showing off our perfect lives. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, the longer social media has been around, like it, the more I'm starting to find people who are like, hey, how about we at least spend some time or even make our entire like channel about um, how life isn't perfect sometimes. You know, I, there's a number of yeah. channels that I follow about people who are out there to educate about mental health, some mental health illness that they have. And I find them, it's so fascinating. And I find that the more I talk about mental health and my experiences and the stuff that went into these stories that I'm writing, the more I find other people who are walking up and saying, oh yeah, no, I've experienced this too. The same as what Kristen was talking about. The more, you know, a few of us, decide you know what we're gonna start talking about this let's quit making it a secret and let's make it let's bring it out in the public because I feel that things like trauma and abuse and and poor mental health they flourish in the darkness and we feel so compelled to hide it like that's the only way to survive somehow is to fit in and look normal and look okay but actually that's the way to feed the problem and the way to reduce it is to shine a light on it and, and be like, Oh, you know what? First of all, maybe it's not as big and scary as I thought now that I've got, you know, some full daylight on it. Uh, Maybe also I'm not alone. There's other people experiencing exactly the same things I'm experiencing or something similar to it. And maybe there's help, you know, maybe there's help in just simply talking about it. Maybe there's help in finding people who can sympathize and maybe there's help in, in therapy or, or, or yoga and meditation or whatever you find that that helps to reduce the size of that problem, you know? So I'm a, yes, I'm I think a, if they did it, they did things like that yeah, with yoga. Yeah, like yoga and stuff, like things like that. If yoga and, you know, karate, things like that, that really are good for your mind and well-being. Mm-hmm. And that's what they should be, you know, taking care of in a lot of the high schools. These are things that people can use their whole life through Mm -hmm. and exercise and different things actually do help people's mental health you know because a lot of times when you're exercising you're not thinking you you're not I exercise every day and when I'm doing it you're, you're only exercising you're not really thinking about a lot of other things which is good it gives your mind mm-hmm. some time to just relax because sometimes you need that yeah. you know and especially in the yeah. writing career, a break from people the, are from the Break from just the merry-go-round inside your head. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, I like we that. Merry-go-round in your head. Yeah, we were talking about that <laughs> yesterday on the show. Which, uh, people hadn't heard it, but there was, we were talking, they were horror writers, but we did not talk about really horror stories. Uh, Josh Mallory, John Skip, and uh, Elizabeth Black. These were people that are really, really good authors, but they have changed different, you know, they do a lot of different things. And we were talking about like how people feel stressed in writing. And the I, my opinion is 
Amazon does not help because everybody's looking at how many reviews, how many stars you have, who's reading your book, how many books are you selling, are you doing this? Everything has got to be a certain way. And what I brought out and which we all agreed on is the fact that if there's a style of writing that somebody does or they their dialogue is a certain way, that's just how it is. We are all individuals. So I think that's what one of the things that's out there is the stress and anxiety of trying to get book reviews, trying to get stars, you know, put in four stars, three stars, whatever, and not being, not looking at them uh, on Amazon and not, and being able to say, so what? Trying to get to that point of discontentment and not the rat race, the hamster on the wheel, as I call it. Yeah, it can be, it can be hard. And I think it's, you know, I think that's one of the overall problems of being any kind of creative. It's like on the one hand, you want to just be free to create. And on the other hand, you you, you got to put food on the table somehow, you know? Yes. <laughs> so it's right. well, this really thing. complicated dynamic. Right. Yeah, when I first got my first book contract, when I got my first book contract that day, um, they had introduced me online to some of the other authors with that publisher. And one of the women who I was like really impressed by everything that she had done, she happened to have a post that day that said that she loved being a writer, but she hated being an author. She said, oh, I love being a writer. You know, it's, it's fun, but I hate being an author. It's hard and it's very scary. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> you know, because yeah. you go to writing right. groups. And I, I don't know if you guys went through this, but you go to writing groups. And there would be like published authors in it and sometimes like really big names at these conferences and stuff. And they would always be doing the same thing like, oh, I've got this deadline. And they always seemed like they had the weight of the world on their shoulders. And I remember other authors saying, or I should say other like unpublished writers saying, do you think it's really that bad or are they showing off? Are they trying to, because they would always say like, oh, you know, you don't want to get here. You don't, you don't want to have to go through this. And we think like, how could you say that? You know, like you have the keys to the executive right. washroom. You've made it. And we, we didn't understand. We thought, you know, are right. they just right. saying that? You know, so we won't be right. jealous or this or that. And then you get the key to the executive washroom and you're like, oh, oh, oh. And, you know, yeah. after doing shows for 15 years and uh, interviewing tons of people and just discussions like I have, we're all basically trying to do the best we can, trying to make good yeah. stories. But we are affected by things like Amazon and like these book reviews and this and that and, you know, being happy with the story that we're doing and trying to get it out in a normal amount of time so they don't forget what you did in your last book. However, this is hard. But you can't mm -hmm. discourage people and you tell them to just go out there. So my advice these days is, sit down and write and have a good time. If you're stop if you're not having fun writing, it's becoming a chore. It is even if you're even it isn't. It's not easy. So it, it sometimes feels like a chore but you in, should enjoy it. On the other hand, if you feel like it's too much pressure on yourself, I'm telling people now, just use another name. Go under another name so that you just feel less pressure to be who you are. Because sometimes if you have like a series that's really good and then the next series is not as good, 
And then people, this way, they, you could at least write and enjoy it and not having people mm-hmm. compare you to this. And I, there's a huge author, Rachel Hanna. She had something on TikTok. And I've been reading her, listening to her books on audio. She's really good. Her stories are just interesting about people. And she did a TikTok about some of her bad reviews, telling her you're never going to, you know, this is bad and that is bad. She goes, well, you know, she says, well, okay, this is what happens. I have sold over a million books, and she has in certain things. And she says, they're telling me their advice that I should do this or do that, but I have sold over a million books. And they're not liking some of her style, but she's out there saying, okay, and she read them. She read the reviews out. I'm thinking, good, because the truth is people think that people that are very, that have been writing for years and are very successful don't get a bad review or don't, people don't tell them they shouldn't be writing. So that's what people have to learn to get rid of that because that frees you. And sometimes if you do use another name, it's not, it's not running away. It's just being able to be free because it's very sure. confining when people expect you, if you don't have a book that's as great as the one you had before, you don't need everybody telling you that because probably you know it yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> Writers know. <laughs> they do. Don't you? Wouldn't you agree on that? Writers know. Sometimes, yep. it's, sometimes it could be better, but whatever. They, you know, and I think and, there's a thing too where where you know maybe you've written something that's been like super popular, and that's amazing. You had fun writing it, and it was super popular. It's kind of that 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 golden sphere that you want to be in, and maybe yeah. there's another project you want to work on, and it's not as popular, but it's still the project yeah. like in your soul. You need to work on it, and you right. know that's where as a writer you're faced with a tough decision. You're like, well, am I gonna Am I going to uh, find something that's going to make the fans happy or am I going to take some more time for me and kind of recharge my own batteries and say, you know what, I need to work on this for me and I don't care if you like it, you know? <laughs> right, no, those right. Are important and, and, you know, conversations right. everybody's gone through this. Right, and that's why mental awareness does happen to a lot of writers because they are, yeah. their health, they are, their health is not as good as it should be because they're letting a lot of this get to them to the point where they can't write anymore or they can't function. And it's hard. That's the problem. You know, last time I was on the podcast, I mentioned to you that I pushed myself super hard to to meet my deadline for my latest book. And I made the deadline, and I even managed to produce a book that I am still really happy with, and and I'm amazed. You know, normally that's where books start falling apart is when the author had a reasonable deadline, and and the quality suffered. So I managed to hit the deadline and get a book that I'm proud of, but I burnt out so hard it took me months to bounce back again. And I was like, you know what? That's important to talk about. Talk about how you got. How did you? How did you? Because I know that happened to you. So talk about how you managed to make yourself become what you should be without sitting there asking yourself all these questions. How did you do this? How did you get that book out? I I like making my fans happy. So I think that was one of the the big hard questions. I like making them happy and they like it when I make them happy and we're all happy and it's great. But I had to get real with myself and say, I'm not in a great place right now. And if I'm going to take care of them, I need to take care of me first. And I said, what's going to, you know, aside from their, their desires, wants, needs, whatever, 
what do I need? And for me, the answer was I needed to spend several months working on a book that I'm not going to publish anytime soon because it's such a massive project. And I said, it's been, it's been nagging at the back of my head and I just need to let it have the front burner for a while. And it's a completely different genre. I run a Patreon page and I let the patrons see the chapters as I was finishing them. And you know what? They weren't nearly as excited about this, this new, new genre idea that I was working on versus my <laughs> usual suspense. But they're also such sweethearts. They were like, that's okay. Danielle needs this and we're here for it and we'll ride along. And I'm like, you guys are awesome. Okay. So I think the two things I did right. write. But however, however, to make something good of that, you could pick up another audience in another genre. Exactly. Yeah. And it was testing because, for me too. And I'm like, right. I've figured out, I think my current audience is probably not going to be that excited about this project. So I think, you know, this is where I start. My my suspense audience tends to be older generations. I think my my fantasy audience is where I'm going to start picking up younger generations, and I'm kind of excited about that. But I yeah. think the two things I did right was, like, I'm just going to write what I need to write right now, and I'm going to surround myself by people who get it and are going to be supportive. And I feel lucky enough that that even included a small group of my fans who, like I said, they're on my Patreon page. And so they're just like, we just love Danielle and we just love supporting Danielle. And even if that means she's going to spend the next several months working on a book that we're not that into, we're still going to be here reading every chapter and telling her we support her. And I'm like, how are you guys so amazing? You know? (laughs) And that's great. I mean, that's really good to have because that that keeps you going. And, you know, so Kristen, do you have anything to say about that? Because we talked, Kristen and I have talked about this uh, switching genres and you know changing names and doing like that. So, what do you have to say, Kristen, about that? Because we have discussed the genre part. Yeah, you know, I um, I had mentioned before to you about how I went to a writing conference. Um, I think it was the summer of the pandemic, an online one, and they were talking a lot more about the business side of things. You know, the analytical, all this stuff, and you know, piecing it out, trying to figure out target marketing and all this. And that's not my wheelhouse. You know, I've always said I wish I'd taken more business classes, but I took law classes, and you know, as my other classes in um, college and stuff like that. And, you know, it's not what comes naturally to me. And we were going through all this stuff, and I started doubting myself, questioning myself, and really found it difficult to write because now I was writing with not just a critic on my shoulder, but this business model on my shoulder of how Mm -hmm. things should be done and how what I was doing, you know, the creative stuff that I was doing, like, oh, there's nothing wrong with it. However, it would be better if you could write into like this model, do it like this, whatever. And I found that just so difficult, kind of almost like kept me frozen in place. And it was my mom who made the comment, like, ever since you were taking all those, you know, conferences and, you know, working with all these people, it's changed how you approach it and how you enjoy it. And it doesn't, you know, come out freely because I wasn't just going back to the book. I was going back to the book thinking, okay, well, this is what I want to do, but this is how I should do it. And yeah. when I finally went to another one online where they were talking about how there are different types of creative type of people, there are some that are really good at what they call writing to market. There are some that are really good at this, that, and the other. But there are some that it's almost impossible and it's almost really painful to try to do stuff like that and go with your strengths because, you know, why, why are you going into writing? And yeah, I think, of course, it's a business and everything. And when I kind of let go of that, 
it made it easier. And it was like, okay, I, you know, right. it kind of felt like when I was a kid in middle school trying to fit in with a group that I didn't even enjoy, you know, like the music that they were into, the things that they liked to do. And I was basically trying to be somebody else and not even enjoying it just so I could fit in with these people. That's exactly what it felt like, really, except it was, you know, work-related. And so, that it you know, like when I... Analogy. Yeah, it really <laughs> felt, you know, like I was trying to, you know, fit, the you know, a round peg into a square hole. It just was not going to work for me. And that was kind of freeing. It was kind of freeing. And, yes, I know the other people, they're going to, you know, do better, be more successful because they've got that business mind, but that's, that's not my strength. And in college, I had um, an advisor who was just wonderful, who we were picking out our schedules, and we were doing a, a one-on-one. There were, there were two students with this professor. And he looked at my schedule, and he asked me why I was taking some of these classes. And one was an economics class, and as he knew, I, you know, I didn't care for math. And he was basically saying, like, why are you taking this? I said, well, i got to take, you know, something like this and to be well-rounded. And, oh, I, you know, I got an A and, um, you know, I was surprisingly got an A in it when I was a senior and stuff. So I think, you know, this would be the best choice. And he kept pushing me, pushing me. And I thought, why doesn't he want me to take this class? And he said, I've got your ACT results in front of me. I know what you like. I know what you want to do. Why are you want, what are you going to do with economics? I'm like, well, aren't I supposed to be well-rounded? Isn't that the whole point? And he said, not at this point. He said, if you have certain strengths, Play to the strength. Why are you trying to build up something that, you know, you might be good at, you might, you know, be better than average at some point if you really put in the work, but why would you focus on that area that's not a strength when you can just improve your strengths? Like you're not in high school anymore. We have to worry about well-rounded. We're trying to find your strengths at this point. And nobody had ever said that. And when you look, sometimes when you look at your strengths, and this is what I deal with with the Landry Two Color series in particular, when you look at your strengths because they come easy to you, you don't think that they're special. You think the things that you struggle with that other people are really yeah, good at, yeah. that's, you know, what, what you know, you must be lacking because how can this be special? You do it so easily and nobody else is doing this. And nobody had ever said that. And I said, well, yeah, no, I really don't want to take economics. I'd rather take, you know, literature classes. Are you kidding me? Come out of the yeah. bookstore with a huge stack of books. You know, that's that's my dream, you know. Please let me do that, you know. Read all day. Oh, God, for class, too? You know, and whereas, you know, the economics, are you kidding me? No, I don't want to do that. But no one had ever put it that way. That's something that, yeah. you know, that you could be good at. Focus on that. And that just yeah. shocked me because I always thought, you know, you're making up for your shortcomings. And I, I, I kind of spent the first part of my life making up for shortcomings. I mean, I knew that, oh, yeah, I was better in this area or that, but I didn't think there was anything special about it. So I was like, oh, how can I make this better so that, you know, then I'm accepted. Then, then they'll love me or like Lisa Simpson, you know, tell me I'm a good girl, mm-hmm. you know, give me an A, tell me I'm a good girl type thing. And, and I'd never been put to me that way and I'm so grateful that he did say that because it really changed my thinking and that's kind of what I kind of say now to you know teens tweens and kids and adults because adults need to hear that message just as much yeah yes I think that's the other thing adults do need to hear that you know because every in some form or other everybody does not think everything they do is perfect so and and on why you're right go to your strengths sometimes and try new things, though. But see, that's the thing. Like yesterday's show, they were talking about that, which is true. Um, they're talking about, for these people have been writing for years, but not being afraid to try something new. 
because yeah. that's scary to everybody, yeah. no matter what age you are. So, but if you can fall in place with another genre, like you know, and enjoy it. And see, that's one of the things. Sometimes I used to say, oh, because I do so many genres, I'm thinking, well, where do I fit? And I think I finally figured out where I fit. I, I do. My, most of my stories are family, relationships, and a whole with a mm. lot of characters. I started that with screenplays, and I'm finally now thinking, this is probably what I need is the family, you know, how it works. But we have to find things. But sometimes people say stick in, I used to tell people maybe stay in the same genre, but the part that was wrong about that and is wrong is that, you know, you're leaving yourself, just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And the, and I didn't do that. So, But it is hard to market that way, and that's what's happened now because marketing is comes into this, which is the stress of marketing, I find, yeah. from most of my guests on the show, is difficult. And that, I think, I think most people find the writing is okay, but it's what comes mm. after what you have to do, and then you work so hard on even on a bad book. If somebody they get a bad like a one star review that nobody read your book, and mentally, that is so horrible for them. And that's one of the things people would write more, I think, instead of being afraid of writing because of all these reviews and the numbers. And if you know, it, everybody looks at the numbers. And really, what does that mean, you know? And that really is, that's a block. That's a writing block to a lot of people. Yeah, I think a lot of people are intimidated. Um, you know, they, they put their first book out and, you know, I self-publish, that's what I'm familiar with. And I know just yeah. trying to get some gears going and getting your first reviews and hopefully they're good. And, you know, most, I would say most right. authors I know like you say, they're more comfortable with the creative side. And then they're yeah. told, well, yeah. if you want if you want people to read your book, you have to get good at the business side, which means processing yeah. numbers. And most of us don't want numbers. Yeah. You know, we want words. Yeah. We like yeah, words. Right. <laughs> we, don't like we don't like spreadsheets. So, you know, we're not caring yeah. about that. And that's the problem. And that's also for mental health, for everything. For people out there that listen to this show, you know, just try your best to do the best, whatever it is, yeah. you know, not to try you know, to be like other people. Yeah, I've had so many people ask me, you know, what's the best thing I can do for my marketing? And I, what I always tell them is find out what you enjoy. And if it's working, keep doing it. Now, if it's completely tanking, maybe find something else. But, you know, if it's, if it's but moving you in the right out direction in and you enjoy it. But you started out with really a very good campaign and you know, doing I, different I things. I feel like I've been pretty lucky in making some pretty good decisions. But I think for me personally, mm-hmm. the first good decision was working on my craft, and that is always the foundation. Mm-hmm. And for me, I feel so lucky that the, the word of mouth on my series is really good. So yeah. for me, what I'm good at, what I enjoy, is writing the best story that I know how. And right. you know, the word of mouth can't carry it entirely, so I do have to to find other ways of of putting myself in front of people. And I've found out, you know, I can handle social media pretty decently. I can handle doing social media ads pretty decently. And I've I've, I've got someone uh, who I work with who helps me with them. 
And I really enjoy doing in-person events. I really enjoy doing readings. And I'm like, you know what? All of these things are moving the dial forward, and I enjoy them so I can keep doing yeah. them. And sometimes I quit enjoying one or all of these things. <laughs> and then yeah, I take really. a break. There, I've had social media detoxes where I just kind of vanish from my own social media, and I come yeah. back later and I say, I needed a break. Hey, I'm back now. Let's get back to talking. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. See, that's a good that's a good thing for people listening out there to take a break of whatever it is. Yeah, you can take a break. It is, it's fine. Yes, you can take you a break. Yes, you can, and a lot of stuff, <laughs> right? And you know, I, I myself, you know, I find I'm I'm busy all the time, but I'm not, and I find myself not, you know, when I'm on social media, I'm not over anxious about many things, but I don't like I don't like social media because I like to mm-hmm. talk to people on my shows, and I I love that, but social media because no matter how hard people try you know facebook everything now is they're not sharing as much it's not they changed everything so you're spending hours when you could be writing so i think for me mm-hmm. i think more of it's better to be writing more and then doing the social media because yeah. if you're stressed from doing that then your writing suffers mm-hmm. because you're stressed already you know, and uh, I, I know that most people, I, I, I don't want to say most, I say almost every guest that's been on does not like social media very much. And it's not because if they get a bad review, that's not what their thing is. They just, it's so much time. And yeah. just when you think you got it figured out, Facebook changed something and you don't even know yeah. what's going on because nobody does. Pretty you know, and you don't see anything. Like when I started doing shows 15 years ago, you would see things. You know, you could keep, you know, you'd post and then all of a sudden everybody would see it. So now I look at something and I'm thinking, what is going on here? One person saw it? How is that possible? So then I'm going on all these other channels and then I'm knowing now that I think people are scrolling and seeing these things, but they don't want to get involved. So they don't put Mm -hmm. a like or anything, but it's not. So I think basically what it is, is they're seeing it. They're just not doing anything about it. Yeah, so it's not yeah. Really there's a difference between impressions versus reactions and yes. comments and yes. stuff. But, yeah, and then, of course, you, you know, somebody on social media. You like the ads? You think the ads will help Yeah, you? and, you know, definitely. My ads have been doing really well, and, again, I feel really lucky. Yeah. I know that other people have been struggling with them lately, apparently. Yes. Um, yeah. And I don't know why, but mine continue to do quite well, and so I can continue to, to grow them. Right. I'm very happy about and you know I, I think too you know social media has figured out oh our, our commodity is that we have people we will sell people's attention basically so yeah. so much of your of your shareability and, and viewability has been put behind a paywall now and so you know you, you have to decide am I willing to try to first of all figure out how social media ads work and they're different on every platform. And some platforms work quite nicely yeah. for authors, and other ones, no one's really had much luck with them. So it's so much more to learn and do and what have you, which is why, once again, yeah. I'm like, you know, figure out what you enjoy. And if what you enjoy is working, then just keep doing that. If what you enjoy isn't yeah. working, you might want to keep exploring and find maybe something that you didn't think you were going to enjoy as much. So just for those that are listening, better. What, what, when you're doing ads, where do you find that you're getting the most attention? For me, Facebook ads are still working really well, and okay. we're looking to start diversifying yeah. out from there. Yeah, 
Um, I started doing, uh, you know, Fussy Librarian. Um, I'm still trying to get into BookBub. I had a Fussy Librarian last March, um, which is, you know, for those who don't know, it's an email. What is that, Fussy Librarian? What is that? Yeah. (laughs) There are several uh, email news lists Mm -hmm. where basically it's the, the business, like Fussy Librarian, is an email newsletter. And they collect email signups for people who are interested in, in books mm. in they can name their genre. And then on the mm. other side of it, Fussy Librarian also uh, harnesses a bunch of authors like me and says, what's your genre? Um, are you willing to maybe discount your ebook to like 99 cents or even free and we'll put it in our yeah. newsletter? And then mm. all these people who love that genre will see it. So I ran one Kristen, of those for the know first about time. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of that one. You did? Okay. Uh, so you started it and you like it then? Mine went extremely well. It went far better than we anticipated. Um, the first book in my series, Mailed Out at the End of the Pier, actually hit the, the the number two bestseller on the Amazon Thriller store. And we were like, what? We did that's not great. expect that. <laughs> that's great. So I'm right, like, so that's hey, we tried something I didn't know new. About that. And it, yeah, that's yeah, good. And yeah, we tried something new and it worked really well. And we're like, hey, we're, we're totally doing that again, you know. <laughs> now, what about a book club? Now, book club. All right, I, I have a note down here to talk about this one of these days because somebody I know was talking about it. How do people get into book clubs? Because that is really yeah. hard, and I think that is really good for people. Are you, ta- do you know how are to you do talking that? Have you, yeah. As a yeah. member or yeah. as an author? As an author. Oh, I would say that's a nut I'm still trying to crack. Do you have anything on that? Question? Okay, right. <laughs> Kristen, do you have anything I've done on that? a couple. I've done a couple, um, but it's usually ones I've been asked by um, military spouses for either the kids or the wives that like to read YA. So. Yeah. I wonder well, why, I guess, because that seems to be good to do if you can if you can figure out. That's totally. the thing. I, I, I'm going to work on that eventually. Because I think that well, I, I guess I will people. say that I I haven't found a way to sort of streamline, um, you know, no. like a like a sales phone to figure out how to get myself into more book clubs. But yeah. well, maybe I have in a way. Basically, like I said, I love doing a lot of in person events, whether that's like a meet and greet at a bookstore or or a book reading yeah. at like a mm-hmm. library or something. And basically, anytime I meet somebody and they mention that they're in a book club, I come right back and say, I love meeting with book clubs because I really do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and okay. and they are, in terms of, you know, book selling, I've found them to be really good. I just always make sure to have, like, a bin of books with me when I go. And sometimes they right want now the in reading. The, you're more in an artsy, like, where you're living now, it's more of an artsy area, too, right? Where they... It's some areas are not that way, like where you you know. I mean, most of the book clubs think... I've book clubs that I've met with actually were back in Montana, and I only re- moved really? here to Wisconsin oh. recently. Yeah, okay. and I'm only just starting to kind of you know tap into the area book clubs here, and I got a few that want to meet me this summer apparently. But yeah, I mean, it feels like maybe not the most streamlined method of getting into book I clubs. My story but... is that my my series is uh, some of it is in. Lake Geneva, you know, because it's a very beautiful, nice area, you know, and it's beautiful, but um, it's, I, 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 Montana, see, that's interesting. I thought you were saying, like, because I know it's difficult in Chicago because it's so big and there's so many authors Mm -hmm. here, you know, and to try to make a difference is difficult, you know, and I do think the independent authors 
are so, you know there are so many independent great authors and so I think finally it'll it, you know it's getting better for independence because I do think that mm-hmm. a lot that everybody seems to know now what I knew years ago you, it's almost impossible to get yourself published by the big six because they have the mm-hmm. same people over and over again and they yep. do a lot of stars and you know they, that's what happens and news people but they're not taking just regular people that write good books yeah. and so luckily that's why we have social media you know and look Kristen sure how do you feel about this because you know I know we talk about this all the time trying to get in yeah and it's, it's, it's great too because you see musicians too that you know are able to put their music out and get it right to people you know you can you don't have to be told what to write or, you know, have it controlled. Yeah. Maybe you want to write yeah. a certain kind of story, and if you were, on, you know, you'd yeah. be told, oh, no, 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 that's not selling, I don't, you know, but that's where your yeah. heart is. That's, you know, the series that you feel compelled to write and stuff. So I think creative-wise, it's a great time for creatives because we have all these outlets and things that, you know, we can bypass some things and just, you know, immediately put out what we want to and not have, you know, the gatekeeper. So I think it's a really great time creatively. Yes, there is a lot more competition, and sometimes it feels like there's a million people out there. Um, But it also, you know, there's a lot of opportunities that even, you know, 20 years ago that just did not exist. No, I agree. That's true. So, you know, at the end of the day, like, Danielle, what – you know, because this is about mental health. So what would you like to say to people out there that, you know, could help people that are just struggling right now? Gosh, I, the first thing I would say is if you think you're alone, if you think you're the only person going through something, I can probably guarantee you that you're not. And if you, I think a decent place to start is just sit back and ask yourself, who's that person that gives me a good feeling that I trust? And go talk mm-hmm. to that person. You'll probably find that they will be so understanding or that they'll have even a similar experience. And you might find that what you're going through isn't that uncommon. And, and there are other people who can help you and support you and have ideas that will help you improve where you are at. So I think that would be my main takeaway. Kristen? I would say to look at memoirs and biographies of people that you admire that might be going through similar difficulties. Maybe you've heard them discuss in interviews and read what they have to say on it. Read their interviews, watch interviews, listen to them talk. And, you know, especially if it's someone you really admire, seeing that they overcame or were able to live with whatever it was that you're also struggling with to maybe get tips and also to kind of have a little bit of a mentor going through it. It might not be someone you ever meet face-to-face or, you know, ever come in any kind of contact. You're just watching online. But it can be really helpful to have somebody as a little bit of a role model when you're going through something that you're struggling with to see somebody did make it out on the other side. Right. That's that's true. These are all good things because I think knowing that you're not alone and writers help writers, I think. So that's a good thing. Yeah. If you find groups of people or like on a show, you know, you meet somebody that has the same issues as you do, it helps to know that you're not alone. And I would say most writers talking to each other is a good thing because we are different than, you know, every profession is different. So we kind of all understand the same 
points of how we get to the same place. You know, how important the story is, but how important it is for us to have a good time doing it. But also, we want to sell. I mean, there's no there's no doubt about it that everybody, and you know, most people writing do want to sell, and they want people to like their work, which is the goal, you know, but it's also feeling good about what you put out. And if you're having trouble, like Danielle said, she stopped for a while, just a little, so she can get herself together and put out the best story she could. And by taking just a little time for yourself, it could help your story. Yeah. And, you you yeah. know, sometimes when you're – yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. When I was um, working on Cecily the City before it launched, I was telling you about, I was re- reading uh, Rick Rubin, the big music producer's mm-hmm. book on creativity. And one of the things that he was talking about is, you know, when you launch a product, it, it's kind of out of your hands. You can do everything right. And I've seen him talk since then on podcasts about, you know, there can be all these different variables. Something else can come out on that day. Something else can happen on that day. And I know that, uh, Mariah Carey had, you know, her album come out on 9-11. And, that, you know, I've got, of course, that's going to really affect things. And, you know, yeah. and there's yeah. other things that come out. Maybe something, you know, defaults flat or maybe something that you're writing on. You know, we've had authors or singers or movies or whatever that have a movie about something, but then something happens in real life and it almost makes their movie look insensitive or too much, you know, too much people don't want to, be reminded of what's going on in the real world or whatever. So there's all these different variables. There's only so much that you can control. And I think as writers sometimes and creatives, we get into that where we're trying to control everything, and then when it doesn't work, you know, we're blaming ourselves. And really, we need to kind of let go at a point, you know, do the best you can, right? put it out there and see and what happens. And what's going to happen now, you know, we talked about it a little on the show yesterday. I mean, there's a writer's strike, you know. And so this is going to put a lot of people out of jobs and mm-hmm. right now it's very trying and stressful and that's mm-hmm. what yesterday we were talking about that because a lot of the series they're not going to get finished so like what you just said right now is they are in trouble right now of what's happening yeah and so it's there's it's only be so much that yeah yeah, and, and you know, there's there's so much that's out of your control and things like that, and right. you just have to hope that it reaches the people that it it needs to, and not get too hung up on numbers and stuff. I mean, that was one thing that kind of helped me with this particular launch is I did kind of let go, and I did kind of say, well, you know, I'm writing it, hoping it reaches, you know, these people who are, you know, dealing with something who want an escapist read, but also want to know, you know, dealing with anxiety and seeing that, you know, a gilded Life, all that glitters is not gold, basically, is kind of what the Cecily Taylor series is about. But it's also fun and escapist. And, you know, I, I, there's only so much that I could control on my side. And so it ended up being my easiest, best release. And I think it's because I did kind of do like the Hail Mary pass in football, said a prayer and let it go. And, you know, because yeah. I was posting, uh, if you if you follow my social media, I was posting, it's going to take a miracle because I had all these things happen up until uh, my deadline, all these things go wrong. And I started questioning, thinking, like, oh, not supposed to, like what's going on here? You know, files lost, yeah. editors disappearing, this, mm. that, and the other thing, you know, where, where did this no. person go? I thought everything was fine. And so I kept saying, I'm just going to have to pray. And, you know, if God wants this, you know, it's well, going to take a miracle. We have to say hope. And I got it. You know, believe in something. Believe Believe in a dream and hope and let it flow through you. And don't stop. Yeah. 
if you have a dream, keep going. Don't stop. Even if you have to take a little break, don't stop. Yeah, I never would have thought. I mean, the the stress that I started calling her, that little girl, uh, Cecily, put me through. I was like, oh, my goodness. But, I mean, I couldn't believe how, you know, how it went off. You know, it was like number two bestseller, number one hot new release for the entire month so far. It's yeah, been my right. easiest release, and it put me through so much. But I did, you know, set the prayer release, my Hail Mary system. And, you know, so you, you don't know. I only had so much control, and I just had to hope that the readers would find it and the people that, you know, liked what I was trying to do. And I think sometimes with marketing, we're, we're trying to market to everybody, and really sure. there's going to be a small group that's going to find you and really hang on. And that's what you need to do is hopefully you find the, right. those people that like what you're doing. And so if you get the bad reviews, those aren't your people. You know, sometimes right. you, you see things like that, and it's just that's not that's for you. Good, okay, that's, that's a good way to look nice. at that. Right, they're not, they're not your people. Exactly. people that are, right. You know, I had, that I had a very interesting experience with, with uh, poor reviews. I, I cannot write short stories, by which I mean novels. So this series yeah. that I'm working on is one vast story that is taking, it's going to be like eight to ten novels before the story is finished which means every book has a cliffhanger ending. And I find it kind of interesting that for the first three books, you will find plenty of reviews that complain up one side and down the other about the cliffhangers, which I think is fair. It's not very often that you see this being done in suspense. Um, But by book four, no one was complaining about the cliffhangers anymore. And I realized I had finally gotten rid of all the people who don't like the cliffhangers. And I was finally hanging out with my tribe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you know what, but you know what, to speak of cliffhangers, this is what, this is what's happening with Netflix and all the things they're serious. So people are now expecting something like that where where years ago they wanted ended. But now, mm-hmm. like you're watching the end of the series, and you think you're going to get the answer, and then it goes, oh, and then you have you watched it, and it goes, okay, five weeks are coming on, next series is starting in, you know, two months from now or whatever, the next. So yep. this is, people are getting used to that now, of, and that's a great thing, because what every author wants that's doing a series is you want them to care about the characters you're writing about. So the yeah. cliffhangers and I are guess working from the marketing, Yeah, from the marketing side, it's considered brilliant. From the reader's side, yes. they can get very annoyed with it. And so oh, yeah. I'm like, this is not something I would do as a marketing ploy personally. You know, if other writers yeah. want to want to experiment with that, that's yeah, their own right. choice. That's fine. For me, it's very much this is me doing my art. And I've been accused of doing it for, for the money. And I'm just like, believe it or not, I'm, it's, this is just how I make art. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you saying that they said you were doing it for the money? That's what they said? Well, yeah, well what does that, that mean? I mean, that's, that's, that doesn't even make sense, well, though. <laughs> what, well, people, well, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of readers are saying, you know, I paid for a book and I expect to have a complete story. And it turns out I don't have oh. a complete story. I have to buy the next book. And like I said, well, especially the in point this of being genre, an author, this not is just like one book. It's not like Gone with the Wind. <laughs> one book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the number of complaints I've had about it oh, is pretty kind of, high. That's unfair. So, See, isn't it? That's kind of sad, you know, because to say that. Because the <laughs> truth is, if people like your characters enough, this is great. This is really good, you know. I mean, that's yeah, what people yeah. strive for is the characters, you know. So oh, yeah. if they're interested to read the next book, even if they have to wait. I've heard, though, before we go at the show, mm-hmm. you know, I've kept you guys long enough, but 
you know, <laughs> I've heard now in some of the bigger publishing houses, they're having the people write three books at a time, let's say, and then putting mm-hmm. out one, but not like three years later, one in every year or every six, seven months, rather than the long wait of three uh, three years, because that's what independent cool. publishing has done for the market because independent publishers can get out their books more frequently. And right. then that's what happens. You know, if, if somebody puts a book out and three years later, they, you know, you've lost your audience sometimes. Three years <laughs> is a long time, you know. So I think yeah. independent publishing is really coming in its own. And uh, I thank you both for being on because um, I knew you would do a, a show that would be good because you both are interested in this topic and you know i i can still have these shows on mental health awareness anytime it doesn't have to be in this month because that's what i've been trying to do is trying to explain to people and have people on that are telling people keep going we have issues too but it's okay to talk about it and don't you yeah. know cuz sometimes if you just talk about with regular friends they they're not quite sure how we who we are because we talk we are a different breed there's no doubt about it mm-hmm. and we do understand each other you know our characters to us are real so like what what Kristen what you just said is you were mad at her <laughs> she's been doing what she's doing but these are our people like you, our people so there you go so this is the thing. So writers out there, just keep going. Don't stop. And just enjoy what you do. And if you have issues, talk to somebody. Because that's always the best idea. If you're young, talk to a counselor, do something at school. Just don't sit in your room and think you're alone because you're not. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's probably the best message we can give. And keep having shows like this that tell people that go ahead, keep going, yeah. you know, and don't stop. That's that's my that's what I've always felt. And don't look at reviews and say you're never writing again because somebody didn't like your book. Because as you said, it's it may not be the right person reading the book. Yeah. So we all have an audience, but if there's somebody reading it that shouldn't be reading it and then saying they don't like that style, don't read that book because it's not fair to the author. That's how it goes, right? Okay, so good luck to both of you, and thank you so much for being on the show. And everybody out there, just take care of yourself. That's important. Stress, strength needs rest sometimes. Yeah. Thanks so much for, right. for uh, your podcast you so and having us on and oh, having oh, this conversation. I love having you both of you on because it's, you're very interesting and it's important to hear other voices like yours. Thank you both. Well, thank Bye. you so much. Thank Bye-bye. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.